Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Good morning. Welcome to North Sound Church. It's great to see you all this morning. So glad you chose to uh, worship with us today. We are continuing our series uh, today on heaven and are delighted to uh, have you with to, uh, to take the journey with us, uh, the journey to heaven uh, that we are, uh, we are all on together. So in this series, for those of you that uh, may be new this morning, we have uh, three weeks under our belt together, and in those three weeks we started off by talking about um, the question, is that all there is? And we talked about the fact that we find in life that when things are really bad, we ask ourselves the question, is that all there is? And when things are really good, even, we ask ourselves that question because it seems like the beauty that is there draws us out and, and wants us to have even more. It creates an appetite within us. And then the next Sunday, we talked about where we go when we die. We talked about the intermediate heaven. Theologians call it the intermediate heaven. Um, I like the word that Jesus uses. He calls it paradise. And uh, that seems like a little nicer uh, expression than, uh, than the intermediate heaven. But the idea is, is that when we die, we go to be with the Lord. But in going to be with the Lord, we have an anticipation um, of, uh, of the fact that this isn't the final state, but in fact we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. And uh, they're, uh, they're not created yet, and so paradise, where we go when we die, um, is a place, that's why they use the term intermediate, where we wait until uh, the new heavens um, and, the, and, the new, and the new earth. And then um, last week, we talked about the eternal heaven, and in talking about the eternal heaven, we referenced the fact that there are assumptions that we have about heaven, and those assumptions may not actually be true. And uh, so we looked at a number of different assumptions about heaven and tried to correct that in terms of what we understand heaven to be based upon the scripture. Today, we're going to talk about the object of our desire, the object of our desire. And uh, we're, going to, uh, we're going to talk about the fact that I don't think many of us understand just how incredible it will actually be for us to be with the Lord, the object of our desire. Some of us uh, may be relatively new to the faith, and some of us may have been believers for some time. And Uh, For some of us, church and being in this kind of an environment is something that happens um, every once in a while. Weddings, uh, memorial services, funerals, an occasional church service, but that's when we get into this environment. I get a kick out of the folks uh, of the Church of England. They call it C of E, but some call it C and E because of the terms Christmas and Easter, um, that's when a lot of uh, C of E folks actually, uh, actually, show up, uh, actually show up at church. But we're going to talk about um, the fact that being in God pre- God's presence is so wonderful and we don't need to wait until we actually die and go to heaven in order to enjoy that. So I have three uh, things I want to share with you this morning about this and uh, encourage you, if you want to use the white space in the program, to go ahead and do so. You can jot down scripture verses, because I don't think we'll get to all of them this morning, where you can, can follow up. And once again, I mentioned to you that 
This is an area that theologians call eschatology, and good Christians have some different opinions about some of these things. And so we tread a little bit lighter than we do when we talk about some of the more basic things of the faith, like, um, like the deity of Christ and the virgin birth and the, the resurrection of Jesus and these kinds of things. So let's go ahead and jump in. The first thing we're going to talk about this morning is that we can begin the heavenly experience of God's presence right now. So we can begin the heavenly experience of God's presence now. In our evangelical affirmation of truth, we we lean into the fact that we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We talk about the authority of Scripture. And in the authority of Scripture, we believe that the Bible reveals God's truth to us. So when we go to the Bible and we study the Bible, that gives us a revelation of God's truth. And, uh, and, and, And so the danger that we have, however, is that in Bible study, we can have an intellectualized faith. It it can be all about Bible study. It can be all about learning. And and the the, the danger that we have there then is is that it becomes intellectualized. It becomes a matter of knowledge. And so it's important, I think, for us to understand that beyond the propositional truth of God's word, beyond learning the Apostles' Creed, beyond being able to memorize the attributes of God, we need to engage with God's presence in our lives today. God gives us clarity about what the basics of eternal life are, and I I find this fascinating. I never quite saw this passage in this light before, but in John 17, verse 3, we read these words, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. No, that's not what I would have expected. I would have expected, now this is eternal life, to talk about maybe about, uh, about just about the, the way of salvation or maybe something about heaven off into the future. In fact, he says that this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. We know God through the insight gained from the scriptures and we know God through experience. I love the, the Psalms. In, in the devotional practices that I have now, uh, generally there are, there are at least a couple of Psalms a day that I read as a part of that devotional practice. And the Psalms are so wonderful because they get at the idea of not just the knowledge of God, but actually experiencing God. David writes this in uh, Psalm, er, Psalm 63, where he talks about um, his friendship with God. He says this, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He thirsted for God, he longed for God. I would have expected these words to be in the Song of Solomon. They they sound to me like the longing of a lover for the one that is loved. They're passionate. And yet in this passage, we see that it reflects the feelings that David had in his relationship with the Lord, a powerful expression. Barb and I met when she was six years old and I was seven years old. And uh, my dad had been the pastor of a church in Wisconsin, in Madison, Wisconsin, which is where I came along. And then we moved to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. So we came into the church, and there was this cute little six-year-old girl in the church um, as well. And it wasn't love at first sight, 
but, um, but, but we were friends at first sight. In fact, I don't ever remember there being a time when Barb and I weren't friends. And uh, in high school, we dated occasionally, but it was sort of friendship dating, if you know what I mean. We liked to do some things together, and occasionally uh, we would go out together. I'd give her a ride home from church, because our, our church was downtown, and we lived out in the suburbs. And, uh, and I would say to Barb uh, in high school, I'd say, Barb, do you want to stop at A&W for a root beer? And she uh, typically would say yes. Uh, and then I would say, no, I only have enough money for a root beer, so please don't ask for a hamburger. <laughs> We, uh, we, 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 uh, we, we, weren't the, uh, we were the most affluent family, uh, but we had the kind of relationship where I could say those kinds of, uh, kinds of things. After high school, she went to nursing school, I went to college, and uh, one summer I went to work in California, and uh, she had to stay and work at the hospital, and I sent her a note at some point, I think only one in the course of the summer, um, and uh, I signed the note, Love, Joy, and Peace. Later, she told me she was hoping for just one of those words to be used in the... Um... So about six months into our junior year, uh, things, things changed, and we, uh, we went on a Saturday morning, we went to the open house at the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology. And every year they have an open house in the spring, and it's really cool, all the different projects that they're working on in this place, and, and uh, lots of people flow through Nate during that time, and so we did. And then uh, when we finished at Nate, instead of the date being over, we just sort of moseyed on, and we went by a, we went by a record store, and I bought an 8-track and plugged it in. I had a 68 Mustang at the time, and so... Uh, the A-track was of the Beach Boys, and even though we were in the north, the Frozen Chosen, it made us feel like we were in California to, uh, to, uh, to play the Beach Boys. And, uh, and then we did one thing after another, and morning merged to afternoon, and afternoon into evening, and evening into night, and we watched the late show, uh, and something changed during the course of that day. Uh, we went from being friends to being something that was, uh, that was more than friends. And, and in the spring and summer um, of that year, I found I couldn't think about much else but Barb. My thoughts were just sort of totally uh, around this woman that um, now was more than a friend. In the summertime, she went to another city about 500 miles away to be with her family for a break from nursing school. And uh, and I couldn't stand it, so I quit my job and drove to where she was and, uh, and, and picked her up, and we went uh, cross-country to Banff in the Canadian Rockies where my family was, and Barb met more of the Crane family. Uh, and then about two months later, with uh, Barb having a year left in nursing school and me having a year left in college, uh, we got married. And the really cool thing was we moved into a two-bedroom apartment with my parents. Uh, that was... <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you stories, but Barb would not like it at all if I told you those stories. You ever felt this way about God? Have you ever felt that kind of passion towards God? 
It may be that when things are really bad in life, we turn to God, or perhaps there was a time in a church service during a particular song when we felt close to God, or we were reading the scripture and there was something meaningful that came out in the passage, or perhaps we had a moment when we experienced God's presence looking out across the water over at the Olympic Mountains. We experienced God, but we wanted so much more. We got a taste of God's presence, but we wanted to feast on God's presence. God's wonderful plan for his people is about his presence. And when we we come through the Christmas season, we remember the birth of Jesus, and you remember the name that Jesus was given, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. God is not intended to be remote. The, The incarnation illustrates, the incarnation being Christ becoming fully human, fully God and fully human, and dwelling amongst us is God's ideal for us, that he would be with us, that his presence would be with us. And then when the Father went, or when the Son went to be with the Father, we call it the ascension, he promised that he would leave us a comforter, the Holy Spirit, to be with us. This is the way Jesus put it. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you'll see me no more, and then after a little while, you'll see me. God's Spirit lives in the heart lives in the life of everyone who has chosen to be a follower of Jesus Christ and is here in a special way when we come together this morning. We're soon going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And in celebrating the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. It reminds us of this great connection that we have with him, that his spirit is with us, his presence are witness with us as we gather around the communion table. The second thing I want to suggest to you this morning is that we need to experience God as more than a compartment in our lives. We need to experience God as more than a compartment in our lives. Often we associate the presence of God with his church, with the sanctuary, with what we're doing this morning when we come together for worship. That described the experience of David when he said, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. It's often in the context of worship that we have this kind of an experience with the Lord. But the the scriptures tell us that that, um, we need to move into the rest of our lives with his presence. And one of the great challenges of American life in the 21st century is just how busy we are. We have those checklists, and on the checklist is 9.30 Sunday morning, time with God. Check. And then we move into the rest of the week having had our time with God. But that's not the picture that we have in the scripture at all. In fact, God can't be put into a compartment. I I love the way David puts it in Psalm 139, one of my favorite psalms. He said, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. 
You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. David, the scriptures tell us, was a man after God's own heart. And there's something about living in God's presence and longing for it. Walking with God is a 24-7 experience. Listen to what David says in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you, and on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The third thing that I want to leave with you this morning is that the the present experience that we have of God is a a foretaste, <clears throat> excuse me, is a foretaste of heaven. The present experience of God is a foretaste of heaven. It's easy for folks to mistakenly think of being in heaven with God's presence as an endless church service. Yet it's interesting, Revelation 21, 22 says, there will be no temple in heaven. What does that mean, there will be no temple in heaven? Well, it it seems that we will be able to enjoy God's presence in somewhat of a continual way. Now, no doubt there may be corporate gatherings of worship, but in some sense, we're going to be living in God's presence. There's no question we'll worship God. Paul tells us that we should be worshiping God now as we go about the business of life. Last Sunday, I shared this passage with you, but I want to reiterate it from 1 Thessalonians 5. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So this is an imperative. This is a a command. And the command that we have is very simple. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not for the circumstances, but in all circumstances. And the point here is that we can do these things while we're doing other things. This, is, uh, this isn't Sunday morning at 9.30. This is 24-7. We can be rejo- joyful. We can pray continually. We can give thanks in all circumstances. In heaven, we'll enjoy the presence of God as we engage in the wonderful experiences that we have. Paul writes something interesting to Timothy. He gives him some instructions. He says, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, because it's uncertain. So they should put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, I'm going to stop and I'm going to go back and read this again, or read part of this again. And, and, and the reason is that, that we, we, we miss this. Um, we, we just miss this. I don't think we get this. It says, what, what he says is that, that um, command those that are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And, and here's why. Because God richly provides us with everything for our, say it with me, Enjoyment, for our enjoyment. Did you know that? 
Did you know that God provides these things for us for our enjoyment? God wants you to enjoy yourself. Did you know that? That's what the scripture says. I think back to some of the early experiences in a fairly legalistic congregation, and it was all about not enjoying yourself. It was almost studied not to enjoy yourself. If you enjoyed yourself, um, that, 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 there must be something wrong, right? Uh, someone said regarding the Puritans uh, that they were obsessed with the thought that somebody somewhere might actually be enjoying themselves. <laughs> Um, That's not fair to the Puritans, but it is quite funny. Um, (laughs) So, so, but in our our legalistic environment of don't drink, smoke, chew, or go with girls that do, it was all about, it was all about what we shouldn't do. But in fact, the richness of the scripture says God gives us all things for our enjoyment, for our enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy ourselves. Paul encourages the Christians in Rome when he says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God wants to give us the things that are necessary. He wants us to enjoy ourselves regardless of the circumstances we may find ourselves in. God gives us all these things for our enjoyment. Last night, um, Sean and Jen were over with Ethan. And uh, in this season of our lives, if you look at Barb's Facebook page, you'll know that sort of where our passion and the center of our attention is more, uh, more recently. Um, and uh, this little guy has just learned to walk. And so we understand very clearly the term toddler because Ethan looks a little bit like those, those silent movies from the 1920s in terms of you know, how, he, how he manages to get around. But looking at the smile on his face, looking at the joy that he has, re- reminded me, I, I took him when I was watching him the other day to see his uncle Ryan, who teaches at King's, um, King's High School. And uh, Ryan and I were walking around with Ethan and, and took a picture and uh, and Ryan texted, this guy is a bringer of joy. And, and he captured the feeling that we have about Ethan in our lives, as grandma and grandpa, and I know daddy and mommy feel the same way, but, but he's a bringer of joy. He's a gift from God that we enjoy, and God wants us then in gratitude to enjoy this gift that he has given us. Randy Alcorn reminds us that rather than draw us away from God, the wonderful things of this life actually should draw us towards him. The joy of life, enjoying our lives, should not be a path that diverges from God in some sense that what the legalists would have us do, but in, in fact, enjoying those things that God has given us should open our hearts and enrich us in our relationship with the Lord. When we experience God's exquisite gifts with thanksgiving, we know it's but a foretaste of what's going to come in heaven. God wants us to enjoy our lives here, but the maximum enjoyment of our lives here is only a foretaste of the joy that we are going to have with him in heaven. He wants us to experience the joy of getting to know not just the gifts, but the giver of every good and perfect gift. 
Alcorn relates a story that was originally published in 1871 by Father J. Boudreaux called The Happiness of Heaven. A kind-hearted king finds a blind, destitute orphan boy while hunting in a forest. The king takes the boy to his palace, adopts him as his son, and provides for his care. He sees that the boy receives the finest education. The boy is extremely grateful, and he loves the king, his new father, with all his heart. When the boy turns 20, a surgeon performs an operation on his eyes, and for the first time he's able to see. The boy, once a starving orphan, has for some years been a royal prince. At home in the king's palace, but something wonderful has happened, something far greater than the magnificent food, gardens, libraries, music, and the wonders of the palace. The boy is finally able to see the father he loves. Boudreaux writes, I will not attempt to describe the joys that will overwhelm the soul of this fortunate young man when he first sees the the king, whose manly beauty, goodness, power, and the magnificence that he has heard so much about. Nor will I attempt to describe the other joys which fill his soul when he beholds his own personal beauty and the magnificence of his princely garments, whereof he had also heard so much. Much less will I attempt to picture this exquisite and unspeakable happiness when he sees himself adopted into the royal family, honored and loved by all, together with all the pleasures of life within his reach, all this taken together as a wonderful vision for him. The boy's rescue by his father is analogous to our conversion. When we come to know God's love and enjoy his presence, when we die, we'll be with the Lord, and that will be wonderful. Though it is uncertain, we may not be able to fully see God's face, but that great day we wait is the establishing of the new heavens and the new earth, where we're told as resurrection beings, we will actually see God's face. The vision God has This vision of God has a transforming power, writes Boudreaux. Thus, the soul, because she only sees God as he is, is filled to overflowing with all knowledge. She becomes beautiful with the beauty of God, rich with his wealth, holy with his holiness, and happy with his unutterable happiness. Friends, in this life, God wants us to find joy, but it's only a taste of the good things that God has for us. And the challenge of life today and in those challenges, we have the promise of a God who never leaves us and never forsakes us. And we have the wonderful anticipation of that day when we will see as we were intended to see, we will behold the object of our desire and rather than only receive the gifts, we will be united in fellowship with the giver of every gift. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the blessing of your word and the power of your word in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have given us, in a very real way, an experience of heaven here on earth, an experience of your presence. Lord, I pray that we would leave today encouraged in our heart that your design for your people is that we would find joy and that in finding joy we would express ourselves with gratitude for every good and perfect gift that you have given us even as we look forward to that day when we will be with the giver of those gifts in jesus name we pray